What is up, Hockey IQ listeners? I'm here to chat about our newest sponsor, Sensorina. Your brain is one of the most important parts of your body. Why not invest in a tool that allows you to train it? With Sensorina, athletes can gain a competitive edge using VR training. Players are able to go through a scenario thousands of times without having to step foot on the ice. No more waiting around for puck touches or perfect scenarios. Sensorina can enhance reaction time, decision-making, and multitasking abilities, making you the next MVP. I mean, if the LA Kings are using it, it's got to be good. With our promo code HockeyIQ, you receive $50 off an annual plan purchase. Head on over to Sensorina.com to check it all out. Dan, I don't don't know about you, but that was just quite the episode with Pat Malloy. Holy smokes. Uh, That that guy just thinks the game on a whole different level. Um, For me, I think the big thing was the fact that he just asked so many questions. Like we were uh, asking him a question and he's coming back with, well, what do you think about this and that and all these different questions where he really gets you thinking. And I think that's probably why he's been so successful through the years is how many questions he's able to ask and get people thinking and have that collaborative approach. For sure. We talked for like, whatever, 45, 50 minutes, but it felt like it could have gone on for hours and hours longer just because every answer he gave, there was just so much to dive into. So that was awesome. I love, he had so many interesting, not just like quotes, but ideas. Um, One of my favorites, what do you do to afford yourself time on the ice? I think is like something that as a, as a coach, as an instructor that like, you know, it's, it's one thing to like, we want to make our players better, but that's kind of like the how and the why behind what we're doing. I think that's like so important. And then at the end, he said, there's no bad students, just bad teachers. I think that's like one of those like gut punch quotes that like everybody needs to understand. And I, I thought that he was just a fantastic interview. I, I think that's a great way to put it, especially for coaches, but for players to take away from this, um, you know, we don't want obedient players. If a coach wants you to be an obedient player to the T, um, you do this, 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 and this, I think that you're in a wrong environment. You need to find a place where, yeah, you do have to do structure and there is the team aspect of it, but having the ability to explore your skill set, I think that's something that you have to take away, put yourself in a great environment like that. Um, and things where you're feeling almost mentally tired as much as you are physically tired after practice. So I, I was a big fan of Pat. Uh, Again, I think we could have gone on for five hours. I feel like most people are like, oh, we could go on for hours and hours. But Pat seemed like, man, we could just go and it could be a full eight-hour day. For sure. Without further ado, here's our wide-ranging interview with Pat Malloy. All right. Welcome to the podcast. Pat, good to have you on. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Yeah, we're very excited. Uh, I know you've done a ton of work. You've got uh, a million different titles. So uh, curious to hear about your journey so far uh, and where you're currently at and what your current roles and titles are. Yeah, uh, feels like it feels like forever. Um, I guess I, I probably started in the development game early 2000s. Um, you know, where I'm at today and, and where I was, I, I, I'd like to say I'm someone that sort of paid my dues and, and come up you know, I won't say the hard way, but um, there's really, you know, the quality of my work has, has always been something I prided myself on. And, and, you know, I didn't have a thousand game NHL career to fall back on in terms of opportunities. So everything that, that I've had to accomplish, I've had to do, you know, number one has been word of mouth and, and just sort of quality of work that I've done with players over the years has sort of vaulted me from, from one position to the next. Um, you know, I started way, way, way back when in, in junior A as a director of player development. And um, that was sort of spawned on by individual work that I had done. And, um, you know, I've been everywhere from from that to the National Hockey League. You know, now with, with my second club, I'm, I'm with uh, I'm a player development consultant with the Ottawa Senators. Uh, spent four years with the Buffalo Sabres, um, Hockey Canada and you know, did some work in major junior last year in Gatineau and, and of course have a roster of individual clients, um, both major junior and, and national hockey league players, um, that'll do private consulting with me and, and whatnot. So yeah, it's, it's been, um, it's been a journey for sure. And, and, um, you know, I guess you could say I'm a lifer at this point. Jeez. 
too too many i, I don't know I, how you, I'm not even sure how you keep up with yourself let alone anyone who's trying to track you it's crazy there was there was one point i mean i i I've always you know individual development and and that's always kind of been my passion and you know hockey's a funny world as soon as you you start to have some success with players you know team opportunities had come and so you know I've bench coached and and I've been a general manager at the the tier 1 junior A level in Canada um with you know and I I currently do that as well and 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 it's a an, different challenge and certainly a neat challenge to build a club and you know, to try to be able to implement and see through, you know, from a team perspective um, and build that way. Um, but I, I would certainly say my passion's always, you know, been in, in individual development and, and player development, as it were, um, you know, helping players earn what they get versus being in charge of distributing what they get has always been something that, you know, has been fulfilling for me. So, um yeah, I mean, currently today, you know, it's the Ottawa Senators, you know, I'm, I'm very involved with Hockey Canada, coaching coaches, coaching players, um, the Smith Falls Bears uh, as a associate head coach and, and general manager of that club. Um, I operate a place called the Peak Centre for Human Performance here in Ottawa. Um, and what it is, is it's a, it's a high performance institute, but we also have a day academy. Um, so really adhering to the long-term athlete development model and starting with kids as early as grade four and going right through high school to grade 12 um, is, is, it's really been intriguing because it allows you to sort of start at a young age and work through, you know, uh, levels of, of learnability and teachability in players and, and do a lot of different things and not just get finished product players. And one of the, you know, the things I've been most proud of is, you know, player that you'd meet at 10 years old and, and going through the process and, and following guidelines of the LTAD and, and, and really getting an opportunity to grow them through versus, you know, being introduced to a player that's already a high achiever. It's, it's, it's a different journey and it's certainly fulfilling as well. Man, there are so many ways to go from there. That was, there's so much to digest there. That's awesome. I guess I'm most curious, you've worked with guys at all ages, all different skill levels. Like what, what what do you maybe like about working with uh, you know young kids versus AHL? Like you know what's what are the the pros and cons that you see? Young players are an open book. Um, you know, as I'm sure you guys are aware, hockey's a pretty is the word diluted um, industry in that you know there's anybody with a bucket of pucks and a following is now a skills coach or skating coach or development coach. And those words get thrown around and, you know, there's, there's really no, um, there's really no measure on many of the people that are in the industry in terms of is what you're doing working and why. Um, So I, I like young players specifically for the fact that, you know, they're an open book. Number one, you have an opportunity to do things right to challenge um, conventional thinking, um, you know, in doing one speed drilling or obstacle based drilling and all these sorts of things that really have no bearing on a player's ability to succeed going forward. I think, you know, research shows that, you know, the the more you read on the topic of developing athletes and developing their mind and developing their, their aptitude for something, you realize a lot of what's being done in hockey is archaic and, and, and it's just, it's not effective. And so that is something I've enjoyed about younger players um, from the older players perspective, one of the things is, is challenging them to see through some of the, the things that they've, you know, they've developed as habits that are maybe, um, not optimized habits or habits that have allowed them to hit a ceiling and not push beyond that and, and challenge them to see things a little differently. Um, I'm really, really big on evidence-based. Um, I see so much out there where, you know, do as I say, because I said so. And, and I think that that's really not conducive to developing anything or anyone. Um, there's got to be evidence-based, in, in my view. Uh, if you're going to do something, there needs to be evidence to the fact that this is why it will help, and this is how it will help you succeed, and this is how it will enhance your ability to perform. And if you don't have that evidence, it's guessing. And, and, and guessing is, you know, for all intents and purposes, I view that as stealing. If if I'm guessing or I'm making it up as I go and I have nothing to base 
in terms of evidence of your gameplay or evidence of the way that, that you move or the things that you need to do and, and associate it with things done at a higher level, then um, it's all placebo effect if there is success. That's uh, well said. And I, I want to dig into that a little bit more about evidence-based development, evidence-based learning. Uh, what does that look like for you? Where are you pulling it from and, and how are you going to implement that? So, I mean, I, I don't generally do um, hockey camps or sign up for my clinic and I'll take your money and you get to come out. I typically won't touch on an athlete um, in their development unless I can get to know them as a player. So it's one of the first things that I'll ask is, can I see footage of your games? Can I see five games is sort of a minimum standard for me. Can I see what you do, how you move, what you deem as success? Um, and what I'll look at is, is um, high consequence events. You know, do you create them? Are you involved in them? Um, are you a robot on the ice? Do you, does the things that you do that you deem as success, are they things that will allow you to, to succeed at another level, at a higher level? If you're currently at the highest level that's available to you, um, you know, can you perform better? Because hockey I think is one of those sports where there's no such thing as good enough if you had 50 last year why didn't you get 51 um, so for me I'm always looking for performance pathways does your habit base match what your aspirations are as a player and that comes where I'll do a deep dive on how your you know your shifts occur uh, what you do on a very consistent basis and you know is there things that can be improved upon from that perspective um, do you play the game in a high um, consequence area do you um, have the ability to get to high percentage areas versus low percentage areas does your skill set allow you to dictate terms of play and those are sorts of things that that I'll start to address on our first meeting with a player um, versus just you know let's do this drill or get a you know do all the the sizzly looking stuff for the internet that gets me on the internet and you know I I like to think that it's a little bit more like a a doctor patient privilege and that I'm asking you to be vulnerable and adopt new ideas. Um, I'm asking you to do a deep dive and self-evaluate. Um, and I like to keep those things in terms of our interactions based on evidence, based on um, raw data that allows and lends you to learn a little bit more about yourself and the way you play. And, and then we formulate a plan based on, all right, here's what we know about you. Here's what we know about where we're trying to go to, you know, here's the parts of your game that, that, um, will translate to success at another level. And here's the parts that won't. Um, and I, you know, you hear a lot about this now. I don't know that for me, that's changed a lot. Um, in the last, you know, since when I started in the early two thousands, I, I don't think that particular foundational component of my evaluation would have changed. I know it gets a lot of airplay now and in various, um, centers you know there's more media than others but I, I think that just solid foundational teaching and and concepts you know you either sort of adopt the idea that we're going to do things based on evidence or you're going to do them based on thought and if it's thought you better do a heck of a job confirming that why you're doing what you're doing is going to help performance otherwise especially you know you get to the national hockey league level um the day I can't talk to an athlete about how this is going to impact them and, and bring them along that journey is the day that I'm done. Um, because it's just, you know, time, time is money for them in that, um, you know, they don't need someone running them through drills. And, and that's a lot of, you know, how my clientele is built is that performance needs to be the key indicator that, you know, that if we can push that needle, based on things that we've done and discovered in terms of pathways to success together, then, then we know we're on to something. That's so awesome. Um, these, these are things that I talk about with some of my, my clients and talking about translatable skills. Cause just cause you got 50 goals at one level, doesn't mean it's going to translate to the next. If you're getting to a net and just standing there, that, that's not going to take you where you want to go. You know, you got to time right. it out, figure out those types of things. Um, have, have those, uh, abilities that really allow you to dictate the terms of play, just like you said. Um, yeah. So, so I'm, I'm kind of curious, and Dan, I don't know where you stand on this, but more understanding about 
uh, kind of what that process looks like for you. Obviously you said when you're beginning that relationship, you want to watch game film. You want to see how they play and how they go about it um, and build that relationship. But what is maybe the skill analysis? Are you bringing numbers to them? Are you bringing pieces of ideas? Uh, how does that look? Yeah. What I like to do is when I look at their game film, it's, it's to figure out number one, what's a high occurrence event for them. Like things that they do often things that they don't do much of. Um, you know, I watch specifically, um, you know, quality of first touch is something that I, I talk a huge amount with players about. So, you know, you'll get a player and I, I want to produce more offense. Generally what, you know, we'll see as a client as I want to produce more numbers. Um, so when you start to do a skills analysis of is there technical deficiencies in the way they move one number two, you know, if, if on retrievals is something that I'll look at a ton of, because is there skating issues? Are you not getting there because you can't, are you not getting there? Cause you won't, um, are you getting, are you skating the game or are you, you, you're just trying to do everything at hundred miles an hour. So when I look at those high occurrence events, then I'll start to look at, all right, you know, what, what are we doing on first touch? What things are we doing that contribute to potential success, success or no success at all? Um, and so quality of first touch is something that I'll, I'll really talk about. So intrinsic things of threat assessments, gathering information, what things do you do to afford yourself pockets of time um, to create plays? Um, or are you just racing to pucks to get rid of pucks, to get back to a puck, to get to an area are you playing the game like a robot or are you playing it like a high achiever? And so, you know, oftentimes you'll see at the national hockey league level, you know, everybody can skate, pass and shoot, but why are some players high achievers and others aren't? And it often will come back to quality of first touch and decisions upon, you know, what they do on that first touch. And so um, a lot of that is something that, you know, I, I think, especially growing up and seeing how things are done at major junior and seeing how things are done at the American league. And then, and seeing, you know, when you get to the national hockey league, everybody's trying to fill a role. And sometimes those roles aren't what a player wants. And so we've got to identify, do you have the skill set from a raw perspective to fulfill the role that you're looking? Do you have the mindset to fulfill the role that you're trying to get to? And then, you know, do you see the game in such a fashion that the, the, your movements create opportunity or do they create deficiency for you in that um, can I create a pocket of time for myself or for a teammate versus, yeah, I'm the fastest guy in the rink, but I accomplish very little. Yeah, I like that you repeated that too. What do you, afford, what do, you do to afford yourself pockets of time on the ice? I think that's like the essence of today's game in a nutshell because like you said, Everybody can skate at the NHL level. Everybody can do the fundamentals at at, at least a you know uh, a level that got them there in the first place. But it's it's that little nuance that makes it the, all the difference in the world. I want to switch gears a little bit. You said that uh, you know one of your pet peeves, and certainly ours too, is the idea that coaches skills coaches are a dime a dozen, bucket of pucks. They have a shtick. They run through it. Um, but you mentioned earlier that you've been coaching coaches. I'm curious what that's looked like for you, just like good and bad or, or otherwise. Um, I mean, it started sort of from a private perspective um, where, you know, associations and things would get a hold and say, Hey, would you present and, and different things? And, and, and I have always believed to, to give back. And then I got involved um, with hockey Canada from the instructional side of things and um, have started to conduct clinics for them. And, I won't say that I go off script on that because some of what they have is very good. Others is sort of drill based and scripted. What I would say is I challenge coaches um, to think a little differently, to not live out of a drill book to, to understand. And, and, and there's no disrespect meant to any associations or, or hockey can or hockey USA or any of these places. But what I think it is important is that we give them more than drills. We give them processes in order to impact players in a positive way. And, uh, you know, I think a lot of that comes from the power of, of peer coaching, um, the power of helping someone expand their thought process on something. And I, I don't proclaim to be right on everything, but I do proclaim to ask questions, to, to challenge people to think outside the box, to get away from cone-based drilling, from obstacle-based drilling, from 
from go here, stop here, do this, memorize drilling. The game is not memorized and, and challenge our coaches to create scenarios where kids have to solve problems and create an ice full of problem solvers versus um, an ice full of obedient athletes that, that go here, turn left, go here, turn right, stop here, stop there. Um, that's not the game. And those players, albeit, you know, some players get to the highest level of the game um, based on their ability to fulfill a very finite role. But I, I had a, it's interesting, I, I, he's a friend of mine and he was the director of scouting in Buffalo when, when I was with the Sabres, Rob Murphy's his name. And he said one day we were casually chatting and he says, you know, we were talking about different roles and things. And, and he says, well, we don't take a checker out of junior and create a checker in, in the NHL. You know, oftentimes it's a guy that scored 50 in junior and, and he becomes a really good role player at the National Hockey League level you know, because their trajectory hit a spot where maybe they couldn't create at the, at the national hockey league level in terms of offense, but they did have the, um, the smarts and, and the, the, the intrinsic value of a player that could fill a role, but they weren't role players when they came from, from junior. And so, you know, one thing I'll try to do is, is bring coaches into the new form of thought is it's not for us to decide a player's, uh, trajectory. It's up to us to challenge and push forward. They'll hit the level of talent. They'll hit the, the, the limit of their talent at a certain point, but it's not for us to create role players in, in, you know, and I guess they've changed the names now, the U10s and 12s and 14s and these sorts of things, Peewees, Adams, Bantams. It's not for us to decide those. It's up to us to, to try to create trajectory for these players. And if we have them solving problems and doing things that occur in games at a young age, we've got a better chance to do that. Wow. Like that's deep. Um, that's exactly what we're talking about here in the hockey IQ podcast. How do we get away from just doing skills and make them think um, what those things are? I'm assuming that's maybe the difference between guys that make it in the NHL and those that maybe get stuck at the AHL level. Um, is there anything kind of specific to that? I'm assuming it's not just technique and physical. Yeah, You know, it's interesting. That's a great question. And I talk to players that are, you know, I don't know if they know that they're tweeners, but they're tweeners, um, you know, players that are, um, why do some players vault to the National Hockey League? Why do other players take time? I, I'll ask that question of players. And of course, I'll ask the question, um, but I'll also see it with my own eyes. You know, is, is the American Hockey League slower? No, it's probably not slower physically. It's a touch slower mentally, though. Um, you know, the National Hockey League, you've just got that much more um, less go, go, go and more fast when you should be fast where you should be based on the play that's developed. So the processing in, in my estimation is just that much quicker. Um, the physical skills are often, you know, virtually similar in that, um, you know, I think we see it every year at the skills competition. The, the fastest skater in the American League is darn close to the fastest skater in the National Hockey League. Hardest shots are right there with one another. But those aren't the things, you know, why is the fastest skater in the American League still in the American League? You know, sometimes you need just to be fast at the right times and you need to be fast about the right things. And I think it's almost cliche now for the people in the industry that speed of mind, speed of hand, speed of foot. That's, you know, if, if, if as a skills person, as a, as a development professional, that's not on your plate, you're late to the party. I think, you know, understanding that linking or synergizing those three systems is where you really start to succeed in terms of developing a player is when you can link mind, hand, and feet. Um, and sometimes, you know, I think we've all seen, played with, been witness to the fastest player on the ice that accomplishes absolutely nothing. Um, faster is not better fast at the right time is really important um, fast with the proper uh, hand or foot or mind or getting to a spot fast because that's what the situation uh, demanded and you had the wherewithal to be able to process that that's when you really start to know that, that we're cooking with gas I want to stay on this topic because I think there's a ton here you mentioned earlier that one of the benefits of teaching kids is that they're like a blank slate, right? And for that reason, they're kind of enjoyable to teach their, their sponges. 
On the other hand, you're working with guys all the way up to the NHL level. I think that's really interesting because most people that we talk to don't have that huge wide of, uh, you know, an, of experience. Do you find that it's maybe easier to teach hockey sense to one group over another because they're totally different, but, you know, I could see it going either way. Um, you know, not, I talked about that sort of about paying your dues. I, I mean, I think there's something to be said with, you know, the teaching process of teaching a young player all the way to a National Hockey League player versus maybe, you know, uh, I played, so now I got a job with a National Hockey League team. Therefore, I know because I did. And, and I, I listen, I have the most respect in the world for people that earn their living playing at the great, you know, at the greatest level of our game. But at the same time, you know, nobody just becomes a surgeon, a surgeon learned from someone. And so, you know, to me, it's important to recognize experience of what's your teaching process? How do you get through mental blocks? How can you find pathways to performance for someone that's got a limited ability in one of their technical areas? Um, what do I do if I'm not the fastest player? or I'm not even in the top 10th percentile of being the fastest player. Can I still contribute and play? And so, you know, I think it's that there's no one size fits all. And so sometimes you'll see, especially in, in the development world, the cookie cutter approach where your body, your talent level, your athletic ability are different than mine are different than Greg's are different than Joe's are different than Bob's. And so, for us to cookie cutter approach, um, that's very difficult. And, and I think a lot can be said for learning from a younger age and, and how does something progress in terms of the technique into the tactic, into the application, into the performance, um, you know, from, from stage to stage and ability to ability. Because a lot of times, you know, when I first meet a new player, you know, let's say a kid gets drafted at 18 years old and you find him, you meet him for the first time at development camp. Um, you know, he has a lot of predisposed thoughts on how I should play to succeed. All the people that have impacted him along the way, you know, one of the things, and I, I, I try not to, maybe it's to my detriment. I don't, I don't really do social media as maybe as well as some, I don't know if that's even the right way to look at it. But one of the things I'll say is turning players into pros, you know, a lot of times, Faster, faster, bigger, stronger, faster is, is you get those kids and they think, okay, I'm 18 and I'm drafted and now I just got to go, 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 go. Sometimes it's slowing them down. Sometimes it's, it's helping them recognize that um, being a professional has a lot to do with a lot of different things. And, and sometimes you have to slow down. Sometimes you have to do things a little differently than, than you think, especially if what you're looking to do is be someone that does more than chip and charge or, you know, become a checker or, um, you know, you, you want to push the needle and you want to be on the score sheet. Well, hope is not a strategy. That's absolutely wonderful. And, and those are actually some of my greatest breakthroughs is taking guys that just want to go, go, go. Cause all they hear is play fast, play fast, play fast. Yes. It's getting them to just slow down. I, yeah. I had one kid uh, here in Cleveland and he's phenomenal. Um, but every time we'd play, he'd watch and go through the neutral zone. He was just trying to pick up as much speed as possible. And the greatest breakthrough was him was just literally stopping his feet through the neutral zone. Once he had those first three quick steps, so he's starting to manipulate the gap a little bit. Yeah. So I, I couldn't agree more on that. That's, that's awesome. I want, I want to hear maybe some more about that. Uh, Cause that's one thing with guys that are super fast or maybe some guys that need the opposite where they need to speed up their game. You know, it's, I, I, I talk about, uh, you know, I have a play fast Friday where what I'll, I'll do is I'll put pearls of wisdom out if you will, but it has really nothing to do with skate fast, shoot fast. It, it has everything to do with the things that allow you to play the game faster. And so much of it is about patience and controlling tempo and controlling pace and ultimately dictating the terms of play um, come from manipulating and, and being deceptive. And, and, you know, I know some of these are buzzwords, but it's putting some context to what that looks like and, and what that means, because, you know, my city, your city, North America is full of skating coaches and it's go, 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 go fast. Um, all of what I just said is true in the skills perspective side of things. Um, 
and, and you see when you get to a team setting, you know, it's, it's recognizing that high percentage hockey is, is, it's a combination of a lot of things and it all doesn't revolve around being the faster, the fastest from A to B. Um, and, you know, that's been one of the int- most interesting parts of my journey is, you know, coming into a new environment, meeting an NHL coach that wants to know what's going on. What are you doing with the players and why getting to the American league? What's viewed as development there? Why are we doing this? Or, or, you know, major junior and in, in all the different levels and, and hockey's in, in an interesting crossroads, I think in that um, you still have the elements of the old and the, the emergence of the new. I think a lot of what we're talking about is some of the new mindset, which will become the norm at some point, I, I truly believe. But there's still the mindset that, you know, put a puck in an area and win a race. And, you know, uh, and you see that going on right now in the playoffs. You see various styles of coaching, various styles of, of how the game is played. And um, that's the interesting part of hockey is, is that, you know, yes, you can have success in certain areas, but is it sustainable? When you look at the best players in the world, um, you know, they're not winning races just because they're the fastest. They're not you know, they're in control, they have the puck and they manipulate the movements of other people. And I'll say things like they play chess, not checkers. And, um, you know, it's always so interesting to watch and to see and and to get um, the mindsets of different players and and what their perspective on things is. And it's, it's, it's pretty interesting when you work with a, um, you know, a world-class offensive player versus, you know, just a national hockey league player who all due respect to one of the top 700 players in the world, because they're in that league, but they often, you know, on, on the, the very same league will have such a vastly different approach to what they would deem as success. And, you know, a lot of times I'll, I'll talk about that idea that the very same people that want a role fulfilled um, will be the same ones that if you don't produce would be the ones saying to you, you know what, we're, we're going to go in another direction at some point. Um, and so from a private perspective, within a team perspective, obviously we've got guidelines and things that you want to make sure, but you've always want to push the envelope. I've always believed that, that better player, better team. And, you know, it's, it's kind of the idea if you're building a car, better components, better engineering, better finished product. And, and that's really, you know, for me, what I would say when developing someone is that if you know, the, the part in that car is that we've built the aptitude to be able to extend our possession just a period of time long enough to allow my hockey sense to kick in to find the play. You know, a lot of times when you get to a 30-year-old man, it's very difficult to impact his hockey sense in a, a super dramatic way because they've done things certain ways for 30 years. And so there's a lot of pathways that you're going to maybe run out of time to be able to change or rewire so one of the ways that, that I would approach someone like that would be, you know, can I get you to a puck just a split second sooner? Because maybe you don't read the game quite as quick as the player next to you. But if I can figure out a way or we, I shouldn't say I, because it's, it's really the journey that we take together. Can, can we collectively figure out a way to build those pockets of time that maybe afford the level at which you process the game to, to make the play appropriate with producing? And, um, you know, that, that's, that's another thing that, you know, as you get players further on in their career, you know, it, it becomes a time sensitive thing in that, um, you know, you don't have the same time or the same amount of runways you would with a 12 year old, um, if that makes sense. For sure. I think it's so interesting what you said about how the game's changing. That's something that we can all appreciate. Like I remember I've been a bench coach now for a handful of years and, like we've had to change the way that we check literally physically body check because, you know, I'm 30 when we, when I was brought up, this is how we played. And so that's like what you teach. And you're like, Oh, actually this is on a dinosaur. Like this is, this is not how we play. So I think that you're right. The game's changed. Is there anything that like, and it's continuing to change what's something or some things that, you know, maybe uh, you've changed your mind about over the last couple of years. I, you know, when I, when I read that question and I thought about it, it's, it's, um, it's, it's interesting. It, my mind goes to the spot that 
you know, fitting in and, and fulfilling a role and, and you don't want to overstep your bounds in a team setting for sure. But I've often felt that, you know, in the pursuit of a better player, if you can provide evidence that the things you're doing are helping these players improve their ability to perform and, and not just offensively, you're seeing more now than ever roles are being given to, to higher end players because the way they distribute their skill set, the smarts that they apply in the way they play can be used to kill penalties. It can be used to do, you know, shutdown. Um, if you have the puck, then, you know, you shut down, you know, in the old days you'd say, well, you know what, I'm going to put the shutdown line out and we're just going to go and they're going to eat pucks and, you know, they're going to block shots and um, all the things, you know, they're tough and they're just going to bleed shots and, and hopefully we run out of time and we win the game. Well, you know, if you possess the puck, it means the other team doesn't. And, you know, what things from a skill solving perspective, can I solve a problem because I possess it or I cut things off before they become dangerous. And so, you know, things that I've um, changed my mind about is, is not to allow conclusions to be drawn on a player. If a player has a genuine and distinct interest in improving in an area who am I to tell them that this is what you are as a player? This is all you are as a player. Now, I think, you know, especially from a professional standpoint, they're all mature enough to recognize, you know what? I want to stay. I want to play. And, and if, as long as they understand that I have a role as defined by a staff that I need to fulfill, how do I build out of into a role that I want versus the one that I have without sacrificing the one I have for the one that I'm looking for. And so to me, that's been one of the most distinct changes is that how can we develop you to hit another level of achievement without taking away your effectiveness in the role that you've currently been given that, you know, contributes to your livelihood. So that's, that's certainly something that's a fine line. Um, you know, I, I think we've all seen it, hockey purists and, and um, by purists, I mean, maybe, you know, the older school generation is, how many times have, have you heard, you know, all oh, the skills guys coming in today, so it'll all be saucer passes and turnovers. When in essence, and I, you know, I've, I've heard that in the last five years in an NHL setting and, you know, politely, I, I, I forwarded video of the session to say, actually, what we were doing is learning to properly endure incidental and intentional contact to prolong possession so that we could make a play or distribute a puck or access an area in a high percentage area of the ice so that we could drive the numbers of scoring opportunity up. That's what we were actually doing. I don't think we threw one saucer pass and I wasn't doing it to be cheeky or coy, but there are those in our industry that there's a professional standard and it isn't jumping over stuff and flipping pucks and sauce and pucks and spinoramas. And that was the old view of skills. Um, so from that perspective, um, it's, it's making coaches, and, and listen, all the respect for the stress that they endure, they want to win games. And so it's very difficult. You know, we all understand the fraternity of hockey and nobody wants to give up control when they've got a player playing a certain way. They don't want them to deviate because it's this mystical thing that if we cross a line and then we don't have success, let's assess blame. For, for me, it's, it's, Everybody, all the stakeholders recognize that, you know, as a player, their want to improve shouldn't come sacrificing the foundation that they've built within the lineup. But I think it's not fair to anybody if you don't, you know, look from an evidence-based standpoint, from a challenging the player standpoint, from a um, what can we do today in terms of the way we coach a player versus the way we might've done it 10 years ago to find new pathways to performance? Because if we're not sacrificing foundational, but we are adding elements and we are adding stories to the house, um, you know, better component, better product, better player, better team in essence. Yeah, That's that wonderful. Makes... I, I love the aspect of like building out of a strength and continuing to go from that. So. I'm a huge fan of that. Dan, sorry to cut you off there. No, you're good. Uh, I like that analogy too. I was curious, like, do you think that, you know, next five years maybe that you'll continue to see, you know, less pushback from the quote unquote dinosaurs in the game? Or do you think it's like 
something that we're looking at for a long period here go forward or like I'll like from my standpoint like I I think that it's like every year it gets less and less of that but I don't know when it'll just be like oh yeah that doesn't exist anymore do you know what I mean you know I think and and it's maybe not fair and I don't mean to sound it dinosaurs at the top level i just see it throughout in that there still seems to be sort of an us versus them mindset in that for sure if you take an analytical approach or an evidence-based approach oh you're one of those new guys yeah well hang on a second i i I don't go to the doctor and just ask for pills because i feel sick that that is one way for sure and i guess you know to me as a skills professional and a skating professional, and I would say just a development person. And, and I think, you know, when I, I read through your material, I think we're all on the same page that um, let's make sure we diagnose the basis of where a player hits the wall in terms of performance and see if we can find root cause and build from there versus kid can't play. Kid can't do that. No, nope. can't play. Well, okay, but coach, it's our job to find pathways to performance. So if I had a dollar for every coach, no, kid can't play. No, he's a fourth liner. Like, that's all he is. Okay, at a young age, that's to me almost unacceptable because there's no bad students. There's just bad teachers. And so from the professional standpoint, listen, I, I get it. In the National Hockey League, not every fourth liner can be tweaked and skilled up to be Nikita Kucherov. It doesn't work like that there's talent components, there's different technical and athletic things. And we understand that. However, everyone can enhance their ability to perform a in the role they're in. And, and, you know, you think about the ability to improve a fourth liner to a third liner. What does that do to the depth in your organization? What does that do to your team? If you can get an American league player, a young player able to play in a national hockey league lineup, what does that do from a salary cap perspective? You know, it's all about developing players to live within the the confines of structure for sure, but can they develop from that structure into better versions of themselves? That is fantastic. And I, I love the idea of even going along the same lines of the NHL is continuing to build players. Uh, once you sign them, you don't want to stop there because you now need to get value above what you're paying them. And the same thing well, as you're and, talking and, about. And you can... It's, it's, it's interesting because draft and develop, I always get such a kick out of that. You know, there, there's many organizations where draft and develop means um, you draft them, you put them in the American league, they play, they play for a coach. It's, you know, probably played, probably had a ton of, of success in winning hockey games at a level, um, teaching them to be good pros, you know, good pro, show up to the rink on time, stay late, work hard. Yes, sir. Serve the group. I mean, all of those intrinsic things that, that we'd almost see from a, um, I don't, I don't want to say a military unit, for instance, show up on time. If you're not early, you're late you know, um, play within the confines of the structure, sacrifice for the group. All those things are important in, in, in any high achiever. You make sacrifices, you work hard. But, you know, being on time, that's a life skill that everyone should have. Working hard, everybody works hard. Um, you know, no longer, that's not fair to say, not everyone works hard. But you know what? A lot of people work really, really hard what can you do to enhance your talent? What can you do to enhance your abilities? Are you staying late to stay late or are you staying late to look at video, but not look at video and be harped on about all the things you did wrong to look at it from a different lens and say, you know, if I'd had done something just like this versus that, maybe outcomes would have been different and show them evidence to, you know, why I'm asking you to do the things I'm asking and what it creates when you do. Um, what I, you know, when I talk about old school versus new school, you, you still see at the minor hockey level coaches that, you know, I'm a volunteer, so I'm doing the best that I can and, you know, drills and do it hard. And okay. That, that's great. But, you know, I've always been a believer that volunteer or not, if you volunteer for a job, it's a job, you know, we're going to offer you the coaching job of this club at the U12 level. If you accepted it, you cannot use the excuse that, well, I'm just a volunteer. If you're going to do something, do it right. 
And so our job is to create an environment where players want to come to the rink, but we're challenging them to be uncomfortable. And not because we're making them uncomfortable, skating them up and down the ice until they don't feel comfortable anymore. Challenging them to see through a different lens. Can they solve problems? Can they do things in confined spaces? Can they see past that first wave of threat and that threat assessment concept that it's, you know, the, the game now is, is played above the shoulders and, you know, the industry doesn't really allow for people to fully understand that. I don't think in that skating, 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 skills, 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 great. You know, the best players in the world, they, they just think better than everybody else. And that's, you know, something that if we put as much attention into that as we did to all the other areas in the game, I really truly believe that, that hockey would be better for it and, and that players are going to benefit for it because, you know, hockey is a really fun sport when, especially when you're good at it and when you get to touch the puck and I'll say that, you know, I think I said it today on the ice and said, you know, is there anyone on the ice that just loves chasing the puck? Like I just love back checking. I just love never having the puck, never contributing to the outcome. I just love to chase things around the odd time I get hit and my teammates will bang the boards because I got hit with a puck. Um, run into the odd thing here and there and my teammates will bang the boards because I ran into somebody but I really you know I didn't pass it I didn't shoot it I didn't get to carry it much does anybody love that about the game and not one kid of course puts their hand up no so you know I think it's creating situations where they get to feel like I have some impact on the outcome and, and that starts with coaches adopting the mindset that let's stop worrying about the messy beginnings and the mistakes that they'll make and recognize that's part of the process and you know, I used to joke, you know, coaching minor hockey with my kids and stuff to, you know, it's, it's 930 on a Thursday night and, you know, there's nobody coming out here to scout us coaches. So let's make sure the kids get something out of this because the wins and losses on your Pee Wee AA team or wherever you happen to be, you know, at the end of the day, those aren't the things that you'll carry forward. That is wonderful. And we just based on the answer alone need to unpack a lot more than we have time for. Um, so I'm going to ask you a simple question that's probably got sure. way too many layers for you because uh, <laughs> we've got to wrap up at some point. So we'll get you back on because I, I definitely want to unpack a lot of the things that you've talked about, not just that last question, but even ones before that. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm loving this one. So uh, I guess my final question is define skill. What is skill to you uh, compared to maybe what people think skill is? It's funny. You know, skill today um, – if I, and listen, I, all the respect in the world for people that, that are, are trying to do what they believe is right. I, I just, you know, I, I have a real issue with apparatus as a teacher. I think that that has to be dispelled. I have a real issue with things that don't naturally occur in the environment that we're training to be in jumping and twisting and turning and, and, you know, I'm not going to go down that road, but what I see as skill is someone's intrinsic ability to solve a problem they encounter within the confines of our game uh, in an automated fashion. So can, can, can you call upon in an automated fashion, the skill required to make the play required to succeed? So, you know, does my skating afford me the ability to create time till that play comes? Can I beat the first person to make a high percentage first play? Um, you know, can I call upon the passing or the shooting or the handling skills as determined as I read that the threat, you know, to my possession of the puck requires me to move it to the open player. Great. Does it, you know, am I in a position to shoot a puck because it's a high percentage area and it has a really good chance to go in, or am I just shooting it to shoot it? Cause coach yelled, shoots puck, put it on the net, on the net, on the net, everything at the net, everything at the net quality versus quantity. So for me, you know, skill is, does the things you do afford you the opportunity to make a high percentage play? And obviously, you know, in, in my travels, I try to, to simplify as best I can what a higher percentage play is versus a lower percentage play as a general rule, you know, with the understanding of what real estate in the game looks like, areas of the ice and, and just giving kids, you know, the understanding of, if I'm in this area, my plays can have more consequence than if I'm in this area. And so can I skate past, shoot? Can I handle, manipulate, evade, deceive, 
to get to the areas or to distribute and control to the areas that allow us the most opportunity for that success. And so, you know, to, to me, um, sometimes, especially when you're pouring the foundation, that's boring. You know, the, the players, um, they want to jump over stuff because it looks cool on the internet. They want to, you know, have their eyes glued down in the puck and do all the cool stuff that, that, yeah, you know, you see Patrick Kane do a little bit of it in a, in a skills competition. The magic of a guy like Patrick Kane, he's doing it at game speed with his eyes up, manipulating your movement 8, 10, 12 feet before you're near him. He's got you moving the way he wants you to move. But the things that get sensationalized are, oh, look at the quick hands with his eyes down in, in, a, in a shootout in the All-Star game. Well, yeah, that's candy versus the vegetables of, you know, watch him, the, the poetic nature of the way he plays – the poetic nature of the way that that all of the best players play is that they get people to do things that they don't want to do. So maybe in summary of what skill is, do I possess the physical abilities to get someone to do something they don't want to do or that they're trained not to do because of the way I moved and the things that I did that made them do something they didn't intend upon doing, force them to that mistake? That's an awesome answer. Love that. I think we could go for another like hour here, but like Greg said, we'll have to get you back on because there's so much more to dig into. And I feel like every single one of your answers, we were just like, where do we go from here? Cause there's so many different ways. So I really wanted to, you know, thank you for coming on and uh, you know, sharing your wisdom with us and our, and our audience, because I think that a lot of people are going to really benefit from this. Yeah, my pleasure. I mean, it's, um, it's interesting times here. I, you know, I, I've, I've really, in, I won't say, I mean, it's a loaded statement. I haven't enjoyed COVID, but I've enjoyed the journey that I've got to take with players at various levels, just because it's sort of put, it's slowed everybody down a little bit. Um, and so it, it's been neat to be able to get into the trenches with various players and try to get them to see, you know, their game through a different lens and um, recognize that, you know, foundation and all the different things we have the opportunity and that's a lot of how I'm talking to players right now is we have an opportunity to come out of this thing that we didn't control this this pandemic that we have no control but we control our response and so can we come out a better version of ourselves out of this so that's that's been kind of neat and and um, yeah no I, I've really enjoyed this and um, would love to join you as anytime uh, you know anytime you'd like to have me back I'd, I'd always love talking hockey and um, always love being challenged on different things and, and uh, I'm happy to help. Awesome. Thanks Pat. Take care. Very well. Thanks guys. Stay uh, safe and healthy and we'll talk again soon. Thank you for tuning into the hockey IQ podcast. We are hockey's arsenal, Greg Revac and Dan Ducart together. We've come together to create a platform and a community to expand on hockey intelligence, hockey IQ, whatever you want to call it. Uh, we're very passionate about seeing this game played smarter and better and continue to develop itself uh, to the next level and staying on the cutting edge of things. So you can find us at Hockey's Arsenal on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. We're also at Hockey'sArsenal.com. Uh, from there, you can find some resources and some options to work with us. We're excited to continue this. If you enjoyed this episode, please like, subscribe, follow, and share. Uh, you can also join up for our newsletter as well, where we're going to tackle anything Hockey IQ related. So we're excited to have everyone here and continue to build. That concludes this week's episode. Thanks for joining us here at Hockey IQ. If you haven't already, take a quick moment to hit that subscribe button, give us a thumbs up, and drop a review. If you want to be a great teammate, even recommend us to a friend. You can follow us at Hockey's Arsenal on Twitter and Instagram. Check out the website, Hockey'sArsenal.com, where you can subscribe to the weekly newsletter. You won't regret it. Catch you Buttes here next week for a brand new episode.